morning. Our passage this morning is found in Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. If you have one of, one of our Bibles, you can find it on page 413. If you have my Bible, it's on 523. If not, you can find your own page number. <laughs> Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king... delights to honor. And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head the royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to confess right now, I've been working at a camp for the last couple of weeks here, and my voice is completely shot. (laughs) So it might sound like I'm doing a spoken word the entire time. So that may be fine for some of you. If not, suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Well, hello, everyone. My name is Scott Burton. As Matt was saying, I'm the intern here at Church of the City. If this is your first time here, welcome. You're probably wondering, is the speaker actually wearing a microphone? Yes, I am. You just can't see it probably because of my beard. Other than that, welcome to our church. We're glad you can be here. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. And one of our frontline team members will gladly bring you one. If you uh, do not have a Bible, um, we just want you to know that is our gift to you. Uh, Please take it. We want you to be in God's Word. We don't want you just to be thinking like we don't actually read it. We do read it, and we want to invite you to also read it as well. 
To start off our time together, I want to ask all of you a question. This may be a personal question right off the bat, but to be honest with you, I like to get right in front. Um, my question for you this morning is, has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like giving up? Like, I mean, like there has been a time in your life where all the things in this world just seem to be falling apart. Either you came from a marriage or you're in a marriage right now and everything seems to be falling apart. Things aren't going the way that you see them to be. Or you're a student and you're struggling to find a place to live. Or you're struggling because you see all this debt that you have to pay off in the end. And so you're struggling with all these different things. Or maybe you're somebody in this room this morning who is struggling with a particular sin. And you feel the weight and the grip that it has on your life. And you seem to not be able to let go of it. And so you are feeling that right now this morning. Or maybe it's just something else and you have no idea what to do. And so you're standing there or you're sitting here this morning ready to throw in the towel or you're simply saying, I give up. There was a moment in my life, I was 18 years old and I got the worst news I ever heard in my entire life. One of my buddies, his name is Rodney, was at a party one night and he uh, was drinking, he was drunk and he drove home. And he drove home and on his way home, things turned for the worst. Rodney had smashed into a sign, spinning out of control, and land, or smashing into a light post going 120 miles per hour. Doctors told us that we had, or that he had 72 hours to live, and that would be it. And I remember being in that waiting room with my friends and thinking to myself, where is God in all of this? Where could God possibly be right now? to allow such an event like this to happen to my friend Rodney. There was a saying that we had amongst our group of friends, and it was never give up. And we used to say that like it was a prayer every single day, never give up. And the most beautiful thing that we saw from a moment like that, when we questioned, where is God? How could he allow such a thing to happen? We got to witness, I personally got to witness my friend being able to open his eyes, walk, talk and breathe and is actually right now going to schools, middle schools and high schools and sharing his story with all these children and telling them who actually saved him and that was none other than Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we were talking about God being absent or the idea of giving up, all I want to say to you this morning is don't give up. Hold tight to the truth that you have been given and that is none other than Jesus. This morning we are continuing on in our series looking through the book of Esther when God seems absent and we are in chapter 6. Up to this point we have seen a lot of pretty wild and bizarre things. This book is filled with a lot of graphic situations from power, sex, narcissism, greed, big parties to celebrate conquests or future conquests, genocide, and murder. Aside from these things, we discover the presence of God through the actions and lives of Esther and Mordecai. If you haven't guessed it already, or you're completely unaware of what this book is talking about, we discover that both Mordecai and Esther are Jews, and this identifies them as God's covenant people. If you were to look back at chapter 2, verse 5 to 7, you would see this. Also, this, is an interesting, or this story is interesting because it brings us and it returns us to this heated rivalry that we see between a man named Haman and a man named Mordecai. In chapter 3, verse 2, we read that Mordecai, who is related to Esther, refused to, or refused to bow to Haman. 
And so for our time together this morning, I've broken our sermon into three sections to make things a little bit easier for us. The first section we're going to be looking at is called, A Sleepless King Reviews His Records, which is going to be focusing on verses 1 to 3. The second section, I've titled it, Turn of Events, which focuses on verses 4 to 11. And finally, the last section, Redemption in Jesus Christ, which focuses on verses 12 to 13. And let's be honest, what kind of sermon doesn't have Jesus being mentioned in it, right? That's right. Amen. Here we have Haman who is set out to kill Mordecai. And during this chapter, Haman seeks after the highest honor that could be given by the king. But with all these events taking place, we also see this chapter beginning in a very interesting way. It begins when a king cannot sleep. So let's begin our time together looking at verses 1 to 3. A sleepless king reviews his records. Now one thing I want to mention as we are looking at these verses is, we are looking at what I would call the most critical sentence in this chapter. I know, bold statement, I will explain later on. We begin to see these events move in favor of Esther and Mordecai, and God's, uh, God's divine involvement becomes unavoidable. In verse 1, God's divine involvement is through the king's sleepless night. Many commentators and scholars believe that something more than chance is involved. If you highlight verse, or if you highlight verse 1, especially could not sleep, it is described in a different way. Some have said the sleep of the king fled. And this is why this is the most pivotal verse in this story. The reason that it is the most pivotal verse in this story is because this is where we see God radically changing the outcome for the entire book of Esther. If it were not for this moment, imagine this. If it were not for this moment, the events that were going to happen to the people would have been catastrophic. There would be no hope for these people. And as we are reading, we see that the king is disturbed. There can be no doubt that God is behind the king's sleeplessness. That night certainly suggests God's wisdom in the section of the records, also known as the Chronicles, and they would be read. This is not the only time or place that we see God using dreams or using these kinds of things in order to speak to people. We've seen it through Abraham. We've seen it through Jacob, Joseph, and Daniel. Here we see that God is using a sleeping disorder like insomnia to draw a person's attention. One of the commentators that I was reading says this, As the restless king is read to from the book of his own memorable deeds, he is startled to hear of the service which Mordecai performed for him. He wonders what recognition Mordecai has received. His shock that no reward has been given coincides with Haman's over-eagerness in seeking Mordecai's death. So here we have the stage being set for all of us. Death is knocking on the doors of the people. All their lives are in the hands of this powerful king who forgot about the memorable deeds that Mordecai has done for him, and God interferes. He does this in such a way that it will soon change the outcome for not only Esther and Mordecai, but also for the entire people. This moment that we just read through actually brings us to our next point and our next section of the story so perfectly. The turn of events. This is where we see Mordecai honored and Haman humiliated. 
One of the reoccurring themes that we've seen from this book so far is this. The king prided himself. If you don't believe me, just look back at the last five chapters that we've been going through. If you're not a strong reader, listen to our sermons. We see this happening. When we begin to look deeper into this text and we really examine these words, we begin to see that pride is not just in this king. Pride is deeply embedded in Haman, but it is also deeply embedded in all of us in this room. In one of the books that I was reading for my own personal growth, Heath Lambert, author of Finally Free, says this, You keep returning to sin not because you are a victim. You keep returning to sin because you are arrogant and prideful. Now I understand that this kind of language is a little tad, it's a little harsh. I get that. I was one who was reading it and I was like, dude, seriously? But there is a lot of truth that comes from a statement like that. What the Bible exposes about us and what the world says about us is that we do the things that we do to please ourselves, to boost ourselves up, to make ourselves feel complete. Now, I don't know about you, but being called out for being prideful and especially arrogant is not the best feeling in the entire world. It is not the best feeling in the entire world. I've had many brothers in this church, through my DNA or just through conversations, who have called me out for being prideful. In fact, in my one-on-one times with Matt, I think he's called me out for being prideful multiple times. Don't worry, I buy his coffee and then he buys mine. We're all good. But the reason that he calls me out for being prideful, and it's so truth, and I want to share this with you, is because I'm concerned for what others think of me. I'm concerned for what others have to say about me. And my concern for what others think of me is from a place of pride. But do you want to know why I think we keep returning to our sin? It's because we believe lies in our hearts about ourselves, which shows us why we all need a Savior. And that Savior is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, some of you who are in this room today who may not be following Jesus, hi. You may be thinking to yourself, I don't need Jesus. I don't need your religion. I don't need your faith. And I certainly don't need to come to church and hear about this dude named Jesus and give my life over to him. I totally get that. I was there one time too. When I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home. I was always told that Jesus loved me. You know that song, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? We sang it in Jinja, Uganda, when I was there on a missions trip. And I'm not going to lie to you, I had it in my head the entire time. And I was like, Lord, I love the song, but please turn it off for a second. It's, (laughs) I get it, you love me. I'm thankful, but... Please. (laughs) And I was always told of these things. But the thing is, though, is that when I was told this, it never made sense to me. I just didn't get it. Like, it didn't mean anything to me. It was just words. And so for me growing up, it just didn't, I didn't care about it. And so for my life, my life was all consumed by partying, getting high with my friends, and having sex. My life was spiraling out of control. In my life, I was at the point, there was a verge in my life where I was about to die. It was either going to be from drugs and alcohol, 
or is going to be from my own life, my own self. And then a friend, then a friend spoke out one night. She's talking about herself. For some reason, I just listened. She says, I think I need to go back to church. I was like, girl, you are crazier than a crazy person. I don't know what to say there. I couldn't, I couldn't make that any better. I thought she was crazy. Like, what, what is church going to do for you? Like, what has church ever done for anybody? Little did I know that my butt would be sitting in a chair with her, and I'd be listening to a sermon. And then she says that we need to get into this youth group. We, need to, we just need to do something. We need to volunteer. We need to change lives, Scott. Let's go to the youth, because they need it more than anybody. It's like, you're right. Let's go. Had no idea what was going to happen. I wasn't a Christian. Was not a Christian at all. But through that month of me being in there, the gospel finally started to break my heart. And that is when God saved me. God changes events. He, changed the proje- he can change the projection of your life. He can change the circumstances that you are facing. He does so, and he can because he is God. And see, he didn't have to do it for me. He didn't have to do it for me. He didn't have to do it for any of us in this room today. But he did. And this is something that all of us as Christians would call grace. This is also where God intervenes and turns things around, and he does so because he can. And so looking back at our story, Mordecai was someone who saw something worth living for. His people's lives were in jeopardy, and he was taking a stand and fighting for them. Haman, however, wanted this man hung and wanted the highest honor that the king would ever give to somebody. Even though, as Nick mentioned in chapter 4, he didn't do anything to deserve it. There's nothing that he did in order to get this reward. But yet, for some reason, he thinks, I deserve it more than anybody else. Haman was angry with Mordecai. His motives were focused on having Mordecai killed. So he has planned to have him hung and taken out of the picture so that he can joyfully be with the king at the feast, which we read in chapter 5, verse 14. But we see in these final 10 verses is a radical shift. In verse 6, we read that Haman is coming to the king, expecting that his plans would all fall into place. But yet, all of Haman's plans would fall through his fingers like sand. Before he could even get a word out, the king immediately asks Haman, what should be done for the, king, or the man the king delights to honor? And so Haman says to him, giving off these incredible ways. The king is listening to him. He says, Have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head, and lead him on the horse through the streets proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. But who gets this great honor? Mordecai. Now we read this, and we can almost feel time stopping for Haman. 
As if the blow to Haman wasn't already enough, now the king, without any idea, completely oblivious to what's happening, says to Haman and tells him, now don't you disregard anything that you have said to me. Here's something interesting for us to know about this reward that that Mordecai is going to receive. To wear a robe that the king had worn and ride a horse that the king had ridden was the highest mark of honor that could be shown to a subject. This is a big deal for anyone. And to be given this kind of honor is incredibly rewarding. Now, there are two things I want to draw from this that will help us understand the irony of this chapter. First point is this. Haman was blinded by his own arrogance. Haman was blinded by his own arrogance. We see this in verse 9. Little did Haman realize that he would be the prince to lead the horse on which Mordecai honored. If you turn to your Bibles and you go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, we read, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And do you see what the writer is saying here? The writer is saying that our pride will cause our destruction. Our sin that we are so in love with will have consequences. Major consequences. This is why you and I cannot take our sins so lightly. Now, hear me out when I say this. This is not something that you just need to hear for yourself. No. I'm up here and I need to hear it for myself too. So don't think because a guy has a microphone on, he's all holy and he's all perfect. All of us in this room need to hear this message. This is God's word we are talking about. We must be at war with ourselves and stop giving into what we want versus being obedient to God. But here's the thing. Church, hear me when I say this. You cannot do this on your own. If you try to overcome your sin and you try to do this life on your own, you will fall flat on your face every single time you try. Please, don't do this on your own. It is literally impossible. Here are some ways I think that we can overcome sin or that we can grow to be more like our Savior. The first thing is this, is that we must keep each other accountable. Our pride will keep us from being honest with each other. But if we are honest with one another, we can be forgiven, healed, and walk in light rather than continuing walking in darkness. Look at uh, James chapter 5 verse 16. It says, therefore, it's concluding with something, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We also read from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is the one who is saying he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. And the second thing that we can draw from this is that we must be honest with God. Because God is sovereign. 
He knows our hearts. And we must not hide from him, but boldly approach him. See, when we say these things like God is sovereign, we hear all these things. Understand this. God is not just sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed and, you know, just chilling up there. This is a God who is saying to each and every one of us, I want you. I want you in my family. I love you. I know you. The Bible talks about that, how he knows the hairs on our head. He collects our tears in bottles. Like, do you understand the personal God that we are talking about right now? This is not a God who has set the earth in motion and just walked away from it, letting time tick down. We're talking about a God who is personal with each and every one of us. The second point is this, is that sin is humiliating and it is costly. Sin is humiliating and it is costly. We see how sin is humiliating and costly when we look at Haman's situation. Haman thinks that he's going to be the one getting all these things. He's thinking that he's going to get everything that he has suggested to the king. But things are flipped around. And it is Mordecai who the king finds and delights to honor. And oh, the irony of this message can speak into each of our hearts. What a humiliating experience we gain from sin. And it seems so perfect, doesn't it? It seems so delightful. It seems so nourishing to our souls. And it feels so good. But how humiliating it is. And we ask ourselves this morning, let's be honest, we might be asking ourselves, why is sin so humiliating? Why is it not nourishing? Why is it so bad? Because our pride keeps us believing that God isn't enough. And I have fallen in this way of thinking. I continue to think that sin is all of these things that I just mentioned. I have fallen so many times to this. What I've committed in my life, I believed and believe were worth it. When in reality, it has been nothing more but worthless and humiliating. See, Haman thought that this reward was all his. He gave these suggestions to the king expecting that he would be given to him all these things. And after he finds out that he will not be receiving this honor from the king, he feels humiliated and then runs off to his wife and friends and is told that this day will surely be the day that his life comes to ruin. See, Haman is left with nothing. He thought that he was going to have it all. I got this. It's all mine. But everything he was hoping in has fallen apart. And in our own lives, we have things that are falling apart. Christian or not, Christian or not, there are things in your life that are falling apart. There are things that are in our lives that we cannot, 
we cannot control. Everything is falling apart, so to speak. But there is hope. There is hope. There is good news. Because there is hope and restoration in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so for our time, I want to focus on our last section, which is redemption in Jesus Christ. Please, church, look at this text and look at what Haman has done. He was so driven by his pride that it left him with nothing but fear and doom. He wasn't celebrating Mordecai. He wasn't giving him a good old pat on the old butt and saying, good job, buddy, glad you got that. Really glad that you're the one who's going to be getting this honor. Good for you. He was the complete opposite of that. He was stricken by fear. He had no idea what was going to happen to him. Haman wasn't expecting these turn of events. And see, Mordecai, Mordecai remembered the promise that was made through the covenant given on Mount Sinai. But God being sovereign saw this moment way before Mordecai ever did. God is for his people. He will protect them. He will bring them back. And he has brought us back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Mordecai was lifted to this high position of honor by the king and received this high reward where everyone would see. Jesus, though, was lifted to a higher throne. He was sacrificed on our behalf and has brought us back into fellowship with God. The lamb who was silent to the cross, nailed between two thieves on the greatest stage to display the Father's mercy, grace, judgment, died and was buried in a tomb for three days and who rose victoriously said in his word that one day he is coming back and he will not be returning as a dead man. That is where you should say amen, just so you're clear. But as king and Lord, this is who our God is. This is who our Savior is. This is how marvelous he is. Amen. Oh my God, thank you, Jesus. This is who our God is. A God who is alive. Like we were singing those songs, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm about to cry. They're so good, man. This is who our God is. This is how good he is. And to think that he would even call one of us into his family is it's just ludicrous. I'd like to end off our time together with a quote from a woman named Karen H. Job. She's a scholar, and she writes this beautiful, beautiful piece to show us the turn of events in all of history. She says, because, our, or because of our sin, we are not living in the Garden of Eden, where the Lord, or where we, 
where the Lord walks and talks with us in the coolness of the day. Rather, we live in the exile of history, in a world where God is unseen. God has pronounced a sentence of death on us, which we see in Genesis 3. And every evidence of human circumstance demonstrates its efficacy. We should expect nothing but death. But we have seen the ultimate paraphrase. The ultimate reversal of expected ends. And another seemingly ordinary human event. The birth of a baby in Bethlehem. And the execution of that man on a cross. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our destinies have been reversed. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our destinies have been reversed from death to life against all expectation. The cross that Jesus was nailed to, and where he said, It is finished. It is finished. Our separation is finished. And we are no longer separated from God because our King Jesus Christ, as Paul says, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Shall, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Even when God may seem quiet, he is shouting through his son that he is alive. That he is in control. That he is present. And that he is not silent as we think he is. He is capable of turning events around and lives around. If he does so then we shout for joy that God was merciful and that God did that. But if he does not, brothers and sisters, if you are struggling, if there are things that are going on in your life right now, you are dealing with situations in your own life. I have my own personal stuff that I am dealing with, and I'm asking God, God, why have you not changed the certain circumstance that our family is facing right now? Why must we go through this kind of mess, God? Understand, brothers and sisters, and for all those of you who are joining us this morning, there is a greater reward that has been given to us, and that is eternal life with Jesus Christ. So whatever is holding on to you, just realize that heaven is so much better when we're with Jesus. And this life is but a vapor compared to eternity with God. Even when God may seem distant, or God seems absent. He was speaking through the events and the circumstances in this book. He was in control and always has been and always will be. Not only has God changed the outcome of this book, but he has also changed the outcome of all of history. He has changed the outcome for each of our lives. And he has done that through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, he is alive. He is alive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is still distant? 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. And let's bow our heads while they're getting ready and we'll pray. Oh, Father in heaven. Oh, God, how glorious you are. How marvelous are your ways, oh, Lord. And how beautiful is your son, Jesus. The God that you would send him to die for sinners like us. And yet you would show us your mercy, your grace and your love. And you do that all on the greatest stage. And that is when you put your son Jesus on that cross. Oh God, I pray and ask, Lord, as we are here this morning, God, that we would confess our sins to one another. And that we would be honest with you, God. Lord, would you rip the pride that is in our hearts, Lord. Would you rip it away, Lord, so that we would just be like children coming to our parents, asking you, Lord God, for your love and your forgiveness and and come to you always, Lord. Oh God, how marvelous you are. And God, we thank you that you turn the events in history, that you turn the events in our lives to see not death, but glory through your son, Jesus. Oh God, thank you for this morning. And thank you, God, that you love us so much that you would send your son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.